everybody. Welcome to School Psych Podcast. I'm Rachel. I'm a school psychologist working in Maryland, and we are super excited for a great topic um, of MTSS at the secondary level, which I know when I jumped into high school, um, working in a high school, it was like a whole different world for figuring out interventions and how to logistically work that out and um, work with administration to make that happen. So I'm really excited for this topic um, just because it is so different from elementary level, um, where I think a lot of the research comes from and whatnot. So a great topic. Um, but I'm going to pass it over to Rebecca and she's going to tell us about how to participate tonight. Rebecca. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us tonight. If you're watching us live, the easiest way to participate is to log into your YouTube or Google account and just comment right next to the live video. We'll be looking for for comments and questions and just saying hello. And also you can comment on Twitter using the hashtag school psyched, uh, sorry, psyched podcast or on Facebook on the school psych podcast page or school psyched your school psychologist. You can comment just anywhere on the page. I'll be looking for notifications or in messages. So we're looking for all of those um, questions and um, feedback over time if you're if you're not watching us live and you're watching later on during the week and you're um, well I was gonna say commute so sorry um, hopefully you are safe and sheltered and not commuting but if you are listening over time please please feel free to comment we'll like we like to have the conversations continue and now I'm gonna hand it off to Eric who is going to introduce our wonderful guests Okay, thanks, Rebecca. Hi, everyone. I'm Eric, and I'm also a school psychologist in the state of Connecticut. And I'm excited to have our guests with us this evening to speak about MTSS at the secondary level. Um, we have both Dr. Katie Dockweiler and Allison Clark, who are both school psychologists. And Katie is also a member and co-chair of the Communications Committee at NASP, um, which uh, Rebecca is also co-chair, and Rachel and I are members. So uh, we've known Katie for a little while and we're excited to have her with us and then also Allison as well. So let me tell you just a little bit about them. Dr. Katie Dockweiler is a policy researcher and practicing school psychologist. She's a recipient of the NASP Outstanding Advocate Award and currently serves on the Nevada State Board of Education. Dr. Dockweiler proudly serves as co-chair of the NASP Communications Committee alongside many talented colleagues to promote advocacy and the role of school psychologists across a variety of contexts. Finally, Dr. Dockweiler is the Director of Policy and Immediate Past President of the Nevada Association of School Psychologists, and she's also a published author, which we will talk about this evening as well, as is uh, her co-presenter, Allison Clark. Allison is a practicing school psychologist, and she has dedicated her career to the academic and social and emotional behavioral health of students. She has expertise in the areas of organizational psychology in school systems, uh, educator training and staff development, teacher coaching, classroom management, PBIS, MTSS, threat assessment, crisis response, and school-based mental health services and family engagement. She is a certified family wellness instructor teaching healthy families, uh, healthy family systems and communication skills to parents, caregivers, and children. Allison is the recipient of the 2016 Lifetime Achievement Award presented by the Nevada Association of School Psychologists. So Katie and Allison, welcome. We're excited that you're here with us this evening and we are looking forward to hearing about MTSS and especially at the secondary level, which I think many school psychologists and systems struggle with. So 
Welcome and take it away. Thank you, Eric, for that wonderful introduction. And thank you, everybody, for having us here today. And I want to thank the audience for listening in this evening and sharing in, in part of your time. And we do welcome any comments or questions that you have so that we can better tailor our conversation this evening. So I'm going to share my screen so that we can begin our conversation. So as was mentioned, our topic tonight will be MTSS in the secondary schools. And um, Alice and I, through many, many years and dare I say decades of work in the schools, um, came up with uh, Healthy Mind Safe Schools. And Healthy Mind Safe Schools is a framework for comprehensive and integrated social, emotional, and behavioral supports at schools at both the elementary and the secondary levels. Oh. Uh, thank you, uh, Rebecca, Rachel, Eric, for having us on your podcast. It's such a pleasure to be here. And let me first begin by saying that school psychologists are unsung heroes. Whether we realize it or not, the nature of our work demonstrates our value as social engineers in schools as we shape culture and crucial elements that support all students. Um, even with all of our skills and knowledge, we're underutilized as the goldmine of resources that we are for children, for educators in schools, um, for uh, caregivers, parents, and as community mental health service providers. Um, our time is filled with, uh, with paperwork and begging individual teachers to try something new and something extra for struggling students. We chase forms and documentation and we are appeasing endless requests for special education assessments. Um, and we're among the first to understand that MTSS is the best way to support all students equitably, and we are vital to impacting um, school systems. And I believe school psychologists are powerful and unique like unicorns. So uh, changing school systems is not easy. Um, especially in high schools where systems are bigger, student challenges are more complex. And I say this all the time, but uh, students are the least resistant to change in comparison to the adults surrounding them. Adult-to-adult uh, -adult behavioral change is quite challenging. And I found that the key to MTSS implementation lies within the power of the teams. Effective leadership at the top is it's a make or break variable uh, for implementation, but distributed leadership provides the platform for educators to work collaboratively in smart teams like smart organizations. Um, MTSS has some non-negotiables, but however those non-negotiables are rolled out is up to the team at specific schools uh, based on your school's unique needs, your team, your population. And the added bonus is that by tapping into the expertise of educators on your campus and giving their, them leadership responsibilities, uh, it, it increases buy-in and it builds that trust with your team. So what is secondary MTSS? In a lot of ways, secondary MTSS is very similar to elementary MTSS. A lot of the systems, functions, and processes are the same. And a lot of times what needs the difference is the shift in mindsets and the different tools in which we use with our students. So secondary MTSS is the rapid remediation of Swiss cheese, or what we like to say, the holes in a student's learning. 
Um, sometimes they've not had certain opportunities in the younger years to learn certain skills. And so even at the high school level, it's imperative that we provide those opportunities to fill in those, those holes. It's multi-level instructional opportunities for both academic and social emotional behavioral or what we commonly refer to Alice and I as SEB. So it can be both academic and social emotional behavioral similar to what you would see in elementary school with the, the three-tiered model. Uh, allowing for universal screening and progress monitoring and database decision making. Because we want to make sure we're doing all these MTSS components so that we can identify students who need changes, students who need interventions, and that we're making decisions based on data and not what we think is going on with students. Oftentimes, secondary MTSS can seem very challenging. And for those of you out there who are in a secondary school, whether that be middle school or high school, you know many of these challenges. The campuses are oftentimes huge. There's a lot of students. And then the question begins, where do we start? A lot of times there's, there's leadership buy-in. The leaders on the campus don't often know where to start. And there's stakeholder buy-in. The, the educators on staff who would be working with the students don't feel they don't have, they sometimes don't feel they have the self-efficacy to, to implement these interventions. And they may not be as familiar with the model because they have been told or there's a misconception or whatever the issue may be that the MTSS is more relevant to the elementary school. There's also challenges with accountability for roles and responsibilities. There's a lot of moving parts on secondary campuses and without, without having things the um, interventions and the team meetings and the different pieces set up in master schedule like we'll talk about in a little bit, oftentimes these pieces don't happen. The other thing too is a lack of cohesive educational policy to, to support tiered interventions at the secondary level. Oftentimes there, there are great supports or policies, whether it be at the state, local, or school levels to support uh, tiered intervention supports for students, whether it be for academics or social, emotional, behavioral. However, they're not always as common at the secondary level. So advocating at all levels um, of, of policy at all levels of education are critical. So when we're looking at research in general, uh, it's been shown that states and districts without mandated and defined student improvement frameworks are less likely to devote the human capital, the time, the money, the resources, the investments to create these systematic processes for creative problem solving, including the identification, intervention, implementation, and progress monitoring. So if you don't have the structures and functions in place, basically it's not going to happen. Also, research has shown that, uh, that the leadership must be very strong when using MTSS frameworks in order for them to be um, implemented with fidelity. And finally, policymakers and researchers agree in principle about the need to integrate mental health supports in schools, but there's a lack of agreement on what this preventative approach looks like or what it could look like because each campus is so incredibly different. And I would also highly recommend anybody out there, uh, Clay Cook has some fantastic implementation research that I would um, point you to if you're looking for more information on that end. I would also like to add that social emotional learning when implemented has a high efficacy rate um, or high effect size, excuse me. And then also the PBIS also has a high effect size when implemented individually. However, when the two are combined and can be implemented and integrated together, the effect size is much greater and has a greater impact on staff and students.
So here are some of the comparisons about elementary to secondary. And we did briefly talk about some of these, these things. At the elementary level, there are several, oftentimes policies do exist to support intervention frameworks such as MTSS, whereas at the secondary level, few or, or none exist. Uh, the tiered intervention model is also familiar to educators. They're, they're, they're familiar with the lingo tier one, tier two, tier three. There may be different levels of familiarity with implementation at each level, but at least it's part of their daily, their daily language. At the secondary level, that's often foreign language. They, they would, what is tier one? What is tier two? What is tier three? Let alone what does it look like and how do you instructionally roll it out? At the elementary level, there's hope for remediation of skills you know, transitioning from second grade to third grade, there's still a lot of years left for these students to make up any skills deficits. Whereas at the secondary level for students transitioning from 10th grade to 11th grade, that time frame is much shorter. And so oftentimes there's there's um, not as much hope that, that much can be achieved in such a short amount of time. And then finally, the priority in both situations, a priority is on education, both elementary and secondary. However, at the elementary level, the priority on the next year for that student is continued education, whereas oftentimes in the secondary level, the priority uh, as the students transition and get older is on economic productivity. Where are they going to get a job? What kind of job would that look like? Where are their skills best utilized? It's not so much on what skills are they going to learn next year because they're graduating or they're leaving high school and they're going to be entering the workforce. All right, so secondary MTSS is rolled out differently than elementary, but it's not as different as you might think. Evidence-based practices don't cease to apply once a kid moves on to ninth grade. Um, the stakes are just higher and the students themselves are old enough to be partners in, in their growth. And use of assessment data, use of data-driven practices, they're still in. You know, our goal is to increase the quality of instruction for everyone. And putting fewer people on the team is a thinking error. Uh, we, we need a support system that doesn't fall on just one or two people, which I think is a big mistake that happens in secondary schools. Uh, we, still, we still need active involvement of administration, counselors, specialists, teachers, and of course, school psychologist input. And we know that higher risk schools need to stick to the MTSS formula more closely than lower risk schools and even smaller schools. And uh, let's see, because when everyone is below grade level in, in the high-risk schools, it's a tier one problem and you have to focus on those universal gap skills. That way, when performance go up, when performance is going up, there's that, uh, that greater engagement. Uh, people are excited about the growth, there's more buy-in um, and tier one will raise itself. And when we focus on tier two and tier three, uh, we have to focus on that gap instruction. We've got it like in elementary school, we have to use evidence-based programs to target specific skills. Teachers have to unwrap those standards, target the root cause, fill in the gaps. It's nothing It's nothing new, uh, but obviously the, the biggest overlooked area in high school is the impact that social, emotional, behavioral well-being has. And because we don't have tier one instruction in SEB as we should, uh, you know, it, it really becomes impossible to impact academic outcome without helping students' uh, SEB well-being. 
So we have some non-negotiables. Like I said, it's elementary, middle school, high school, they're all the same. And uh, leadership is, uh, it, it's one of those make or break variables. And we know that, uh, but there's also that distributed leadership among team members uh, where we have roles and responsibility. We all have uh, our own levels of expertise and we need everyone's point of view at the table. Um, team building, I believe we should focus on team, build, team building. Uh, I think it's just as important in schools as it is in, in organizations and smart teaming, you know, PLC learning communities have been all the rage in teaching circles, but we've never quite made that jump to smart teaming. And I think it's time. Uh, and we have, to, we have to have those roles and responsibilities but we also have to capture those functions, those processes, those administrative commitment to MTSS in the master calendar. Because as we all know, the master calendar drives all functions at a school. And if it, if it isn't in the master calendar, it's not happening. And we're well beyond, uh, oh, let's meet as needed. Because I'll tell you what, there's just no way, once the train is rolling, there's just no way to squeeze it in. There's just so many things going on. And uh, we have to meet regularly. That's another error that we make in secondary. We think, oh, we don't have to meet as often. Not true. We have to meet. Uh, I like to meet weekly. Some some meet every other week. I feel like if uh, those teams that meet once a month, um, there's just too much the student student information and student status changes too quickly to be responsive. And then um, finally, uh, you know, what what tools do we need? Uh, with with the universal benchmarking, again, we think, oh, we don't need universal benchmarking. Um, I, I'm going to disagree. I believe that it's just as important. And uh, we have to pick a tool where we can get a quick, easy, accurate concept. Uh, same thing with progress monitoring. Uh, you know, I know there's an argument. Do we use CBM? Do we not? Do we need these more intensive time uh, intensive tools? Uh, and And for screening, absolutely not. You know, a, a CBM, a math, quick reading, quick math, basic skills, um, very, very quick, easy, and a good way to, to identify kids. And then we can do a deep dive into their background, uh, you know, triangulate that data and just see, you know, where the ideology of that uh, learning problem stems from so that we can match the right intervention to the problem. And uh, we have... You know, in schools, we we spend a lot of time matching the wrong uh, the wrong solution to the wrong problem. And then uh, MTSS student database. If if I could choose one thing that uh, we could share as we move students along through their schooling, it would be that that database because it captures all of the information that isn't in the normal systems. You know, information system that we can capture. Um, you know, and school counselors. Uh, have more information on students than than pretty much anyone and students tell on each other so um, you know it's always important to uh, be connecting because you don't know your experience with a student may be relevant and somebody else has a piece of the puzzle and when um, you know discipline and counseling when they have two different agendas you know we we don't communicate and then um, those students uh, fall off the radar and that's when bad things happen because we're not watching. And then lastly, um, curriculum, whether it be social, emotional, behavioral, whether it be academic, 
we really have to have, um, you, you know, we can't ask teachers to make up their interventions. They have to have curriculum. They have to stick to the curriculum. And if they do, that gives you the added bonus and it, and it uh, takes off a lot of the, um, the, the busy work when it comes to intervention logs because you can use um, attendance and curriculum uh, in the lesson plans to uh, document that they had attended the intervention through block schedules. Curriculum is something I feel like some psychologists should be should get more involved and more knowledgeable about just because um, we tend to, I mean, even tier one, you know, a lot of us don't have much of a clue in what, what goes into some of our tier one programs or who's choosing what, what tier one is going to look like. I know we've had presenters on in the past who um, you know, RTI kind of has this assumption that, you know, tier one is functioning and working good, you know, you should, you know before you go up and, and tweak and work on tier two and tier three, um, it's kind of a wasted effort if tier one is a hot mess. And we have to look at, you know, how many of our students are struggling and is it a tier one problem? And so I, I feel like that's super important as school psychologists, we need to make an effort to, to be up on what curriculum's um, being used and to get ourselves kind of a seat at the table when maybe it's time for a contract renewal and this district is looking at looking at a different program or a different system type of thing because it's so, just so important. Mm -hmm. And I believe, thank you, and I believe that curriculum is just as important in tier one as it is in tier two and three. Mm -hmm. Yes, Rachel, I can certainly attest to that as well. The schools that Allison and I have worked with, oftentimes the teachers want kids either out of their class or they want something else for the students. But when tier one is, when going back and examining tier one, it's it's often more of a tier one type of issue. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel too when, um, cause you know, the term evidence-based, I mean, there's so many, it's just a world of products out there, right? Like this program's evidence-based and that program's evidence-based and of course their products and they can say that they're evidence-based and be kind of hand-picking things. And so as school psychologists, I feel like we have a good, um, a good knowledge base to be able to wade through some of that and maybe not get um, trapped into kind of the newest flashy, fanciest, <laughs> um, trendiest thing that's going on. And um, so, yeah, I think that um, we need to sometimes advocate for that and maybe put the brakes on something. So for sure, I agree. Interesting. So when we're looking, this is just a visual. There's a lot of people out there who appreciate visuals. So here is a daily schedule at the, at the middle school level, which could certainly be adapted at the high school level as well. Um, when we're looking at the master schedule, it's important to put the benchmarking periods in. For example, if the school chooses and is able to benchmark three times a year, at the beginning of the year, put them on the calendar, September, December, April, or if you're a school who only chooses to benchmark twice a year, excellent, October and March. Whatever that looks like, make sure it's in the calendar. And then also in terms of the daily schedule, make sure those intervention blocks are built in so that that tier one instruction can happen as well as space for tier two and tier three. Uh, we don't wanna have any issues with pulling a student from class to do intervention groups because it's going to interrupt their credits for graduation or different, um, different things that are gonna impact them more holistically in their education career. So through grounded theory research, Alice and I have created a theoretical construct to frame the essential components of implementation of MTSS that promote the academic, 
mental and behavioral health of students at both the elementary and secondary levels. We refer to it as liquid. The L is for leadership. There must be the vision to the vision and the lead supports at all three tiers, actively solving barriers to implementation. The I is for inclusiveness. It's so critical, especially at well at, at all elementary level, secondary levels as well, but to evaluate the school culture. We need to effectively incorporate cultural diversity, improve cultural competency in the staff members, actively provide supports and inclusive services to all students. When we're talking about benchmarking for the campus, we're talking about all students, um, inclusive of our students who may have IEPs. So cue the quality control, monitor and improve efficacy of supports, implementation fidelity, and how targeted areas are systematically audited and modified to correct inefficiencies, uh, any human capital challenges and implementation compli complications. Universality meets the needs of all students through universal practices in terms of prevention, early identification, quality of universal teaching practices. That's where the self-efficacy of the teachers for delivering either the academic or the social emotional learning pieces to their students are so critical and how culture and professional competence of educators in uh, evidence-based practices impacts every student. For implementation and feedback looping, these are the specifics of who, what, where, when, how, and why. These evidence-based practices will be rolled out at each unique school campus and monitored through feedback looping, both single and double looping, that supports a continuous improvement model. And the database decision-making is a constant reflection of the feedback looping and data collected. Uh, we need to have authentic and reliable data to be discussed systematically and regularly during data team meetings to make instructional decisions to support students and also programmatic decisions as a whole. And I will say in terms of the implementation and feedback looping at, on a secondary campus, it doesn't have to be the whole school all at once. We understand some campuses are huge. And if you could start with implementing uh, the MTSS model, whether for academic, social, emotional, behavioral, or both, perhaps at just the ninth grade level. We've worked with one high school who found that option to be very appealing. And so it might take a four-year rollout, but eventually they would be able to do ninth grade. And then the second year, add the new group of ninth graders. So they'd be serving both ninth and 10th graders and eventually the whole school after four years. Another way that we've worked with teams to incrementally roll out their program is to pick one teacher per grade and they can basically pilot the program within their grade in their classes. And then the following year or the following semester, depending on how it's structured, they can then serve as the teacher leader for the other teachers who serve in their grade level or their departments. All right, so we feel so strongly that MTSS is the framework for equity. And the reason is because of how you can allocate resources uh, justly and um, equitably. Uh, and, and there's always a place for someone. It's, it's the ultimate tool uh, or framework for belonging. And I had the opportunity to leverage my position as a school psychologist. And I know inclusivity is, um, is highly under, it's underrated, at, you know, as a cultural, uh, as the cultural impact that it really provides. But, um, you know, when we looked at how do, how do we, uh, how do we provide supports for, uh, for a population that we felt their needs were going unrecognized and as a group were underserved, we felt that LGBTQ uh, needed to be addressed. And uh, I had the privilege to work uh, with Dr. S uh, Todd Savage 
And um, so what we did is we implemented uh, a, um, well, we set out to advocate for those supports. And so uh, we had to, we had to evaluate our implicit biases. And I seem to think, you know, I've always thought myself of a highly uh, sensitive uh, person who's responsive to student needs. But uh, when I, I had a, I had a practicum student, uh, Wynn Tashman, who had suggested we conduct an environmental scan tool, the one developed by Dr. Uh, Savage and some others, uh, we, what we found was eye-opening. I had no idea how oppressive schools are for LGBTQ plus students. And, um, you know, whether that be language on, a, on the website, pictures on the wall, uh, books that are displayed in the library, um, you know, being able to do an LGBTQ search online, you know, our school had blocked it, you know, and sometimes school, uh, school is the only place that students are able to uh, research uh, these things. And uh, so, you know, we realized we had, there was a lot of easy fixes and then there was some that, uh, you know, we really had to reconsider as a team because uh, a lot of our students were getting a lot of office discipline referrals. They were getting sent out of class. They were self-referrals. There are cutters, uh, suicidal, um, you know, social problems. They're, um, you know, just kind of being targeted. So uh, to make a long story short, you know, what, what we found out of the literature is that two of the main indicators that align with safe schools is clearly enforced anti-bullying policies and the presence of an active GSA club, a gender sexuality alliance club. And guess what? We didn't have a GSA club for a number of reasons. Um, but uh, I used, again, my leverage and I realized, you know, hey, I get I I have this information and I'm gonna um, see if I can uh, build coalition, uh, find some allies, and I got myself a, a little team and we started a, a GSA club, and this was the first year that we had a functioning GSA club, and it I, it was magical. I mean, I had no idea how many kids, uh, you know, needed that, and uh, we needed those safe spaces and we needed those culturally inclusive messages posted. We needed those uh, those uh, professional development trainings. Teachers, you know, everybody, like I said, everybody thinks they're more sensitive and culturally aware and more positive than they are. And they're not. And, you know, we all that's the whole thing about implicit bias is you've just got to keep, uh, you know, keep yourself aware and and um and all, I think, I wish there was an environmental scan tool for all cultures and backgrounds because it makes the whole difference in a school setting when students feel welcome. So SCB, so that brings us to SCB MTSS. Why is SCB MTSS so important? And we strongly uh, believe it's important in elementary through high school. And we consider SCB MTSS as the systematic way to IPM. So I know we love acronyms, so we made another acronym for our school psychologists. How do you IPM? You identify, prioritize, intervene, and monitor. And uh, you know the SEB health of students relies on these four components. Um, how do we identify them? How do we prioritize them? How do we, you know, how do we support kids at different levels? How do we keep them out of tier three? How do we, you know, 
we're always in triage. We're always, um, you know, we're always coming to the rescue when things have gone really bad. But, you know, we found that in uh, using Healthy Mind Safe School protocol for SCBMTSS, you know, we're, we're decreasing our load on tier three and we're enriching tier one. And especially in high school, timely communication is the currency of keeping students safe because the right people have to get the right information at the right time. And if, you, uh, if you're not communicating, um, then you're not keeping students safe. And if I could have a crystal ball, if I could say one thing is a crystal ball of, of um, you know, kind of thinking of what, how, how do we see into the future for students? It's through teamwork and communications. So what this Healthy Mind Safe Schools model looks like, um, it's everything on that campus. You have your community partnerships, your family partnerships, academic support, social emotional behavioral support, and teacher efficacy. And here in Nevada, we aligned our teacher professional development with the Nevada Educator Performance Framework, as well as the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards. Um, that was critical and important to us because the National Board really emphasizes the whole child and it's not just academic support or just any one component, but really it's just all these different components surrounded by data-driven decision-making. So we have used a student risk screening scale. Uh, this is not to say that this is by, by any means the best or the only one out there, it's, but the, it did meet the needs of the school. It was quick, it was free, it scores itself. There was a low, a low um, time, time requirement on behalf of the teachers as well as the school psychologist who was managing the student database. So functionally, when we're talking about how do you roll this out, uh, this was one of the screener, the benchmark screeners that we did in the fall. And to make it easier on yourself, if you are the school psychologist that will be coordinating these efforts, I highly recommend that you pre-fill the screener with the student's name and their ID number if you choose to include that when you um, go to administer them as a school. This cuts down on a lot of time during the actual administration of the assessment and then also on the back end when you're going to put all the data into the database. So this is a really important step because this is going to collect all the data and you're really gonna know oftentimes who those high flyers are who are externalizing, but what we found through our research and implementation of the Healthy Mind Safe Schools model is that this really picks up on those students who are internalizing and decreases their um, risk throughout the year. So what happens here is, for example, me as a school psychologist, I filled this out for every teacher on my campus. Oftentimes specialists or for example, the PE teacher, they may have hundreds of kids that they see throughout the day or the week. So you are going to want to talk with your administration about how to work that out. For example, if every teacher is given a homeroom period, then they can have just their 30, 40 kids, depending on how many students are in your school, and fill it out for, for that group of students, your specialists included. So what I would do, I would go through fill out the date that we were doing the administration, the teacher's name, and then all the students that they were responsible for filling it out on. And then I would also, you'll see on the right, the last three columns that talk about total, three totals. I hide those columns so that they can't, it reduces the biases in the scoring. And then I put it in a Google Drive and then I send it as a Google link the night before the, um, 
the day that we're going to administer the surveys. And I asked them kindly to not open it or to complete it. Well, they can open it, but not to complete it until the meeting the next day. So we've got that pre-filled, we've got it to the teachers, and then we've also allotted time in the master calendar, in the master schedule, to have these teacher meetings, the professional development sessions with the teachers, to not require them to complete this on their own time, to not do it before school, after school, on their prep, whatever the case may be. They're given time as part of their day to fill this out. So you can fill this out in about 15 minutes. And what that means is depending on the size of your campus, whether it's 200 students or 2000 students, you can collect all this benchmark data in a mere 15 minutes. That's highly appealing to everybody. So, Allison, you want me to keep going or you want no, I, I'm just so into it. I just can't stop talking. Um, <laughs> So the process, the benchmarking should happen at least three times a year or up to three times a year. The team will analyze the data. And if it's a school psychologist that's collecting it all, puts it into that spreadsheet, take about a week with your school resource officer. If you have one, if you have concerns, pull data from them, but also work on that database with the school counselors, the school social workers, if you have them, and really that core school-based mental health team to focus on the uh, mental health side of things. So one week after the data is collected and it's pr been prioritized into the different risk levels, then whole data triangulation chats with the teachers. And depending on your campus, again, it could look like department level, it could be grade level, or you could break it down even further depending on the size of your school. And bring in other data, whether it be academic data to help support perhaps why the child may be externalizing or internalizing. And then also on the secondary campuses, your nurses are going to have tremendous value and information to add because they're going to have the medical records. They're going to often know about the, the um, history, about the medicine the children or child students are taking, any transitions from community-based treatment facilities, discipline histories, any ACEs that the child might have experienced. So what the team then can do is provide triage, design interventions, and create resources for the staff and for families. And then... Once that's all been determined, then work with the teachers to implement whatever tier of intervention is required. And then throughout the whole school year, collect student, teacher, and program level data. So speaking of data and reporting, there's a lot of different ways to, as we know, there's a lot of different ways to collect data. And the data doesn't always say what we think it's gonna say, and we can report it in many different ways. But really, when you're rolling out a program such as a social emotional behavioral MTSS or even the academic MTSS on a secondary campus, you need to identify what level you're going to be reporting at. Are you going to be reporting just at department level, grade level? Um, we can report student level. You can report whole school level. And it's all going to tell us something different. So if we want to we really need to identify what it is that we want to, to report out on and what our questions are. And we need to link to any existing initiatives and priorities. That's really gonna make the program more successful. If there's something that the administrator is really, really pushing or really wants to promote, if we can link our efforts to that, that's gonna make our, our, our work more successful. We also need to be flexible with our mindset and build those community and family engagement partnerships so that our work um, is more effective. And there's a lot, a lot of data, as we know, to report on. I think one of the biggest things for me is was to, to start small in terms of doability. We can't do it all at once, but pick the things that we can do and then do it well and then expand from there. 
Um, when we rolled this out on a large campus, there was about a, about a thousand students. We started in January with one teacher per grade level, and then they implemented the program with their students from January until the end of May. And then reflecting back on the data that we collected, we were able to implement the program full scale the following school year with those individual teachers at each grade level serving as teacher leaders. And that did a lot. It got teacher buy-in and they were able to serve and get the buy-in from the other staff members on campus to make the whole effort more, more effective. And their input was incredibly important because we can't be everywhere all the time. So in that sense, they were able to inform on the program um, where we couldn't. That makes a lot of sense to kind of do it like a pilot first, like kind of a small scale type of thing. Um, I know that in, I've heard dis, um, discussions in schools that have kind of thrown back and forth, should we do a universal screening? Um, but then there's this talk of, okay, well, when students score high or when there's concerns, like what are we gonna do? And so there's a hesitancy to even screen and do that if we don't have like a game plan in place. So it's kind of like, you know, if we don't know that the, if we don't have documentation that there's a problem, then we can kind of skate by type of thing. Um, so I think it, it's daunting a little bit. So like starting it off with one, one class and kind of a smaller scale makes a lot of sense to ease into it. And we found that those teachers felt more supported. We felt that um, as we went through the program that they felt more confident in delivering social emotional behavioral instruction and and um, and then we found that those counseling groups were very effective and you know those internalizers are going to become externalizers at some point and uh, and it really uh, put a put a stopper in that. Yeah, and I'd also like to add too that with the teachers we did a pre two different pre and post tests. We did the social emotional learning belief scale and we also did the data-driven decision-making for um, anxiety inventory. And so what we were looking for was where they started at the beginning of the year with their, their self-efficacy for delivering the social-emotional curriculum and then also reflecting on the data that they collected on their students to make social-emotional behavioral decisions. And so it was incredible and the teachers reported so much growth and the pre-test also helped determine the professional learning opportunities that the administration provided to the staff throughout the years. So here's, this is one way that one school decided to report out on their data. They had some teachers who were very into the program and they had some teachers who were less into implementing a social emotional behavioral program for students. So this is a pre and a post test and you'll see the change in externalizing behaviors, behaviors for school as a whole was reduced by about 17%, which is awesome. And then the internalizing uh, was reduced by 36%, which is also fantastic. And you can see we broke the raters down by high fidelity, moderate fidelity, and low fidelity based on five criteria that the administration had put together. Those high fidelity implementers did all five of the criteria. The moderate fidelity did two to four, and the low fidelity did zero or one. And there was improvement at all levels, which is fantastic. Um, and the high fidel the greater the fidelity of implementation was was more influential in the outcomes. So based on uh, our, our work and uh, tools that we've developed, we wanted to share kind of the main takeaways uh, and our recommendations. Obviously, uh, leadership is uh, a very important variable. Uh, we strongly feel that those uh, implementation uh, constructs of liquid are 
ways to view each practice at a school through each different lens because you know you gotta you gotta look at the problem from different angles and we feel like uh, if you uh, if you're on top of liquid you should be able to have a, a team that can solve problems for your campus and your students um, the other amazing outcomes that we found is that uh, it having um, having these supports and and supporting one another and getting students the help when they need it and being preventative it shifts those motive those motivations of educators who already feel overwhelmed but really what we found we were concerned that this is one more thing this is um, more work but uh, you know it's that smarter uh, working smarter not harder and uh, really they look forward believe it or not they're looking forward to the benchmarking period because I want to see if the kids are improving and you know what their outcomes and their results are they're really excited about it and then motivating the students you know I've had principals who have gift cards who have drawings and giveaways and you know there's you really cannot underestimate how important it is to uh, motivate students on the high school level and, and make them partners in their learning um, whether or not they have active family uh, uh, support and uh, you know helping families uh, in in engaging and providing them opportunities outside of discipline and outside of like those normal school functions giving them the opportunity uh, to learn and grow um, and be a part of the school community um, and then master scheduling like I said I said it before I'll say it again uh, there is no free time in school. We can't meet as needed. It's got to be in the intervention. It, it's got to be in in the schedule. Um, there's different ways that you can rearrange your schedule. I've seen schools add bef uh, before school uh, intervention classes, after school intervention classes. We found really to be the most effective is the block scheduling where you have uh, at least eight periods and you can do four like mega blocks A and B days or you can do the eight periods a day. We've done it both ways. It depends on your group and your team and your administrator. Um, but uh, that way you can get enrichment courses for the students who do not need interventions. And then you have intervention classes that do not impinge on students um, on their electives, which sometimes is the only reason some of them even come to school. Uh, and like I said, I cannot, uh, I cannot emphasize smart teaming enough. I'm reading a lot about uh, the literature in business and uh, you know organizational psychology, and it's all applicable to to school settings. And never underestimate the power of your team, and uh, and that's really the important place to start. Because I find that if people, you know, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of barriers why things won't work. But I'll tell you what: if everybody wants it to work, we're going to find a way you know, to, to roll it out and get it to work. Um, and then never underestimate the importance of community engagement. And you gotta have, you got a resource map. You've got to know who your go-to uh, community resources are when, th when times get tough, because high schools are highly intensive workplaces and things go bad fast. That um, goes often and there's the volume. So you've got, you know, it's like fighting the ocean and it's not easy, but if you have, um, you know, you know who who's uh, trained in de-escalation techniques. If you if you're you know you know who to call. Um, you know, and you have those supports when when you have students in crisis. Um, it really 
uh, it really makes uh, uh, the school work better and the community, uh, you know, they, um, they appreciate it too because a lot of times schools are, are secretive or they feel like they're impenetrable and they don't know how to um, interact uh, with us. So I feel like that's a really important area. In fact, I'm interested in exploring that um, and improving, improving communication with community. And then, um, uh, you know, Katie is really my hero when it comes to advocating. And you have to remember, you have to advocate at the school level. You have to advocate as a school psychologist for your duty to uh, engage in these other practices that are not just test in place for special ed. And it's so important to advocate at your district level, at your state level, and then at, at the national level. And, uh, you know, and, and even with working with Dr. Todd Savage, he, he just said it doesn't count unless it's in policy. And I would have to agree, you know, these practices are great, but unless we get best practices um, in, in policy, then uh, we're really uh, fighting upstream. That's great. I, I wonder, do either of you have like top two barriers to implementation that either of you have come across? I'm, I'm sure every school might be slightly different, but what might be some of the barriers that you've come across for implementation? I would say leadership, uh, leadership buy-in, you know, and they don't recognize how important each of the non-negotiables is. So then they try to bargain with you. Okay, let's do team meetings, but I don't want to do benchmarking or I don't want to do progress monitoring or, you know, we'll do social emotional, which strangely enough for me, at least working, you know, selling it at the high school level, they love the, the SEB stuff. It's the academic that it, that's, that's a battle. So, um, you know, that, that at least I find is, is a primary barrier. I would agree, Allison. Leadership is critical. If you don't have a strong leader who's going to enforce it, it's not going to happen. And then the second thing, and I think this is critical where school psychologists can come in, is the how, how do we measure what we're doing and why? And, and then how are we going to collect the data? And the school psychologist really can fill that void because most of the other individuals on campus are very skilled in pedagogy, but they may not have the assessment background or the, um, you know, the data piece that we as school psychologists have. That's a great application. Um, I also wonder if you could tell us just a little bit more about smart teaming. I find that so interesting and important, and I love the connection to the cross-reference with IO psychology. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that's like and how have you helped schools create smart teams? Well, yeah, we already have teams. I don't know how smart they are. <laughs> but, um, you know, when it comes to organizational framing, you have to, and smart teams, you have a hierarchy. So you, you need communication to travel up the chain, but you also need it to cross laterally. So how a lot of our teams, they overlap. For example, our academic and our SEB MTSS teams overlap. So some of us are on both teams. Um, and, and, uh, and then we have new, you know, uh, we have, uh, you know, P PLCs, you have um, grade level, you have, um, you know, subject level. And, um, and then, of course, you have, you know, administrative, the school improvement team. And so you've got all these, all these clusters of people. And um, one, one of the challenges that I found, at least for SCB, was you have discipline, and then you have counseling, you know, and whose decision is it to give the kid another chance, or kick the kid out of school, or when the kid says something, you know, really off the wall, and the administrator sends them home, and you're like, 
did anyone do a crisis evaluation to see if they're, you know, if they were serious about anything that they said? So that's what I mean, that communication really is the currency. So when you have these teams, you know, uh, we know, we know the chain of communication, where to go when you have information and um, and it doesn't sit there. That that information, you know, it's it's got a life shelf, a shelf life, you know, like fish, you know, it, it you got to act on it quickly. And you have to nurture those. You uh, also uh, for, uh, you have to nurture those teams. So um, you know you have to be allowed to make mistakes. You have to you have to feel comfortable. I mean, we work with very difficult people, and and I wasn't kidding when I said adult to adult behavioral change is difficult. And I've worked in middle schools, and the counselors, you know, they didn't like me, you know, and uh, and and it happens. But you know what? It's not about me. It's about it's about the kids, and we. Um, you know, we have to um, have room to to grow as a team and uh, and build our skill that way. Excellent. Uh, I also, uh, you guys briefly mentioned the pre and post tests that you gave the teachers. Could you just tell us the titles of those again? Yes, one is the social emotional learning belief scale and I can certainly provide a reference with the PowerPoint when I send it to Rachel and then the other is about data driven decision making for anxiety inventory. Awesome, thank I you. I got those mouthfuls correct. <laughs> <laughs> but they've been very instrumental in terms of how to drive our professional learning with the teachers and also how to gauge uh, our program in terms of the effectiveness of what we're doing and where we can improve. Right. That's great. When you talked about yeah, leadership being super important, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it's a little bit depressing though sometimes, Come, you know, having worked in some dysfunctional schools that have leadership that's not super present or it does not have the same kind of vision or value some of the things that maybe us as school psychologists might value that that can be a little bit um difficult for a school psych to to navigate and implement some of these things if you have um a leadership that's it's not on board um any any tips for working with difficult uh leaders or administration yeah, one thing that I would offer is that I've, I've worked with amazing principals and I've also talked with some who said, I brought th these people in to do this training on SEL and these people to come in and do PBIS and this group on school culture. But if the school psychologist has a good relationship with the administration, then they if they have something to offer instead, say, those pieces are all fantastic. And there's also this model of MTSS. Let's see how we can build the capacity of our own staff and do it on our own. And so, yeah, we might bring in the expertise of others, but if we can control that rollout on our own campus, then we'll be able to, the, the effectiveness in, of impl implementation will just be so much greater. And I've also found that, you know, getting, we have to learn how to get from no to yes. And, uh, you know, we have to use all of our charms and we have to be pesky. And I, I ask all the time, can I do this? No. Can I do this? No. Can I do this? No. And it doesn't matter. I, I'm not, you're not hurting my feelings. I'm going to come back. Can I do this until I get a yes that I can start somewhere? And what I find is I need to align MTSS functions with this, with the principal's priorities and nothing gets a principal motivated than being a champion of their priorities. So if I can, if I can be that champion for them, 
that yes, we can get to school improvement this way um, and it's gonna be so much faster and so much healthier for everyone. Um, you know, I, at least I get my foot in the door. I can't say it's 100% because it, it never is, but um, it, it's, it's, the all, it's the always challenge for school psychologists um, to, to convince those leaders to act and then when you can't get those leaders to act, you know, we, we go underground and we build coalition and uh, we get pilots, we get teachers to try things. And, um, you know, nothing breeds success like success. And as I learned from very early on from some of my earliest mentors, the best intervention is the one that they'll do. So if they'll do something, you know, I'm gonna start there. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's a great point. I, I think, sometimes just speaking the same language, you know, if, if we can demonstrate that our goals are the same as our leaders and administrators, uh, we just might be coming at them from a different perspective, but if we can align with them and show that it might be a more efficient way or a better way to achieving those goals, we may get the yes. So that, that's a really good point. All right. Thank you, ladies, so much. Um, great, great presentation. I'm going to say, um, anybody watching, if you have any last minute questions, please uh, get to type in them out. And then I wanted to remind everyone, our next podcast is going to be on five step, uh, 517 with Stefan Dombrowski about um, assessments. And Eric, do you know, I know you've been emailing with him. Do you know a little bit more about what he, LD, is that what he's talking about? What is he well, doing? we've had a couple of different um, email exchanges and a conversation and he's got a lot of different ideas. So I think he, um, last exchange, he said he might come up with a theme, but he had a really uh, good TED talk that was just published on um, IQ, misuse of IQ and the history um the, the sort of dark history and misuse of, of IQ testing, and then talking a little bit about the validity in our assessments and application in our assessments. Um, and we used, he used the title, taking back our assessment, but he um, clarified in an email that it might not be what we think it means. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to talking to him about that as well. I'm <laughs> Yeah. And uh, also, I know you had the slide up for your books, um, uh, Katie and Allison. So just for our readers to know, you have uh, two books on MTSS at both secondary and um, elementary levels available through Rutledge Publishing, I think. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. I have the first one, the MTSS at the secondary level, and I can attest that it's very good. Um, and I would encourage people to buy the sequel as well. <laughs> Well, and also, I believe in the communique coming up this summer, there will be an article related to the Healthy Mind Safe Schools program as well. Fabulous. Thank well, you both so thank much. Thank you so much for having, for having us. us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Bye. Stay away from people. <laughs> <laughs>